0: for us in these last days so that we can understand what is about to take place on this planet. And he brings us through all of those things, and so we very meticulously, we're working our way through all of that stuff. We came to chapter 14 in a very theological, very deep passage, and we have made this the most practical uh, little para uh, what do you call that, parentheses, there you go, tilt, <laughs> This has become just uh, an incredibly practical parenthesis for us. It's lasted a long time. What really hung us up is this group of 144,000 in chapter 14. It's the group of people that in just a little while when we're raptured out of here, those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the group of people that God is going to use to carry out his plan during the tribulation period. Chapter 7 taught us that they were... 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, of course, 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. And and we look at all the ramifications of this group. But what he does here is he lets us know the characteristics of this group of people. And the thing that just arrested our attention is the fact that this group of people has characteristics that are so opposite the characteristics that God says that we have as believers in these last days He calls us in Revelation chapter 13, Laodiceans. And that's a word that you're going to need to familiarize yourself with as we go through this message. What the word Laodicean is in reference to is those of us who are believers in these last days. We are living in what is called the Laodicean church period, the seventh and final church period before Jesus comes in the clouds for us and we enter into, or the world enters into at that point, a period of seven years of tribulation. And again, this group of 144,000 are going to be the ones that God is going to carry out His plan through in the tribulation period. But what hung us up is what it says in the middle of verse 4. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. And it looks like just a, a brief little review there on your sheet, but this has taken us literally months and months and months to just talk about the very simple fact of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I wish we had the time this morning to, to be able to step through all of that, but we don't. But after coming through all of that, there's something that David says in Psalm 63 that I feel like we all need to look at, we need to ponder, we need to consider. I'd like to ask you to turn there if you would. Psalm 63. Okay, now listen. And I realize some of you are coming in for the first time. You don't know all of the ground that we've covered about following. You'll be able to follow along with today, I, I promise you. It- it'll probably be somewhat different for the people who have been here. But now listen, y'all. Week after week, we've been coming through all of that it means... To follow Jesus Christ. We, we've, we, we've talked and talked and talked about the prerequisites that He gave, denying yourself and, and taking up your cross. and we, we've talked about all of the ramifications of that. you can see on your sheet. We, we even talked about this layout of sea and prescription for taking up your cross and being crucified with Christ that we may follow. And we've come through all of, all of those things. And now I want to ask you, can you honestly? Can you honestly, from your heart, say the six words that David said at the beginning of verse 8 here in Psalm 63? Look at what he said. My soul, my soul followeth hard after thee. Now Again, I know you have not taken the time to meditate and to to think through the ramifications of all that that David has said here. But look at it again. Can you say that from your heart? My soul followeth hard after thee. Now listen, I'm not asking you this morning. Would you like for your soul to follow hard after the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you that. Because I don't have any doubt whatsoever that every person in this room that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have any doubt that you would want to be able to say that. What I'm asking you is after all of these months of studying what it really means to follow the Lamb whithersoever He go with, what it really means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm asking you, can you say that? In all honesty, before God this morning, my soul follows hard after Thee. And before we, we fully answer the question, let, let, let's, let's talk here about, about what David is really saying. No, notice, first of all, that he says, My soul, my soul followeth hard after thee. And you see, y'all, now listen, the, the soul is the real you. It, it has to do with the, the innermost recesses of your being. It, it's your inner self. It's not always the part that people know about us. You see, people think they know us because they listen to us and they watch us and they see what we do and they see where we go and they see all of that stuff. But you see, a lot of times people don't really know us. The soul is that that part down in there where our true motives originate. When we're talking about our soul, we're talking about that part of us where our desires spring forth. Again, it's what we really are. And the fact is, y'all, if, if what I really am isn't what I want you to think is true of me, then you see, I can start saying all kinds of things to make you think that I'm something. And if what I really am isn't what you what I want you to think that it is, I can start doing all kinds of things to make you think that I'm, I'm something other than I really am when it has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with what is going on in the real me. Down in my soul. He says, my soul followeth hard. After. Not, not my flesh. Not that part of me that wants to make sure you, you think that I'm following hard after the Lord. My, my soul, and, and not my body, because you see, my, my body can be at all the right places at all the right time, and because of my faithful attendance, and because my body is positioned everywhere that it's supposed to be, you think that I'm really following the Lord, when again, I may be there in body, and, and the fact is, some of you know what I'm talking about, because you're here this morning, but the desire of your heart is not to be here, but you're here. Some of you are here and you don't even want to be here and David says My soul not my body not my flesh and and not my mouth my, my soul again Because I can learn all the right stuff to say at all the right times to make it sound like I'm following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ Even when the real me Howls down in in the midst of my soul isn't saying anything of the kind So so let's make sure that we're, we understand in verse 8 when David says my soul followeth hard after thee. That it isn't just being at all the right places. It isn't just saying all the right words. It isn't doing all the right things. Following. Now listen, y'all. Following. True following has to do with, with why we do what we do, and why we say what we say, and why we go where we go. Again, it's that, that motive thing. Following has to do with what's being generated and, and motivated deep down in my soul. And David says, my, my soul followeth hard. And watch this next thing. After thee, he says. You see, the, the testimony of the, the average Laodicean according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, according to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, the, the, the typical Laodicean testimony is my soul followeth hard after me. My soul followeth hard after pleasure. My soul followeth hard after money. My soul followeth hard after this, this world. And, and, and even when it isn't that abundantly selfish and self-seeking and self-gratifying and all that, that stuff, the real testimony that we most of the time would have is a much subtle form of selfishness because our testimony would be, My soul followeth hard after thy blessings. My soul followeth hard after thy goodness. My soul followeth hard after thy, thy gifts. Uh, check it out. David could say what few lay out-of-seeing believers can say. David could say, "My soul follows hard after thee." David could say, the, the genuine motive and the passion in the, inside the real me. How's down in my soul deep in my innermost self? That passion is all about it's all about you God not your blessings not your gifts not your goodness, but you Lord I want to know you and I want to love you. I want to worship you. I want to fellowship with you But but check out verse 8 again. He, He didn't just say my soul follows after thee now. It'd be great if he just said that I mean, it would be wonderful if, if, if we could say, my soul follows after thee. Because there's few people in Laodicea that can say that. But that isn't what he says. I look at it. He says, my soul followeth hard after thee. And, and something interesting about this, this word here that's translated followeth hard, the, the word... It's found 54 times in the Old Testament, most of the time. 32 out of the 54 times that it's found, it's translated cleave. It's the idea of being glued to or stuck to, joined to. David is saying here, my soul cleaves to you, God. My soul, it's like it's stuck to you. My soul is joined to you. Five out of the 54 times, it's translated the way that it is here in verse 8. Follow hard. And what's interesting, if you look into the context of how this, this phrase shows up, this following hard, the, the four other times that you find the word, it's always found in the context of battle to talk about what we would call today being in hot pursuit of the enemy. And that's the idea of what David is saying here, of following hard. He's saying, God, my soul is in hot pursuit of you. That's what David's saying in those six little little words there in verse 8. And so I'm asking you this morning, can you say with David, Lord, from deep within my innermost being, The sincere motive and passion inside of me, Lord, revolves around you. My very soul is in hot pursuit of you. I feel like my soul, God, just cleaves to you. I feel like I'm joined to you. I feel like I'm stuck to you, just like my soul is stuck to my body. That's the way my soul cleaves for you. I follow hard after you. Lord, I have within me a passion to love you, and to know you, and to worship you. You see, and I I, I hope that you can, I'm trying to let you see what was in the heart of David, because, y'all, it's real easy for us to get to the place to where we're doing all the stuff that we think comes under the big heading of following Jesus. when all the stuff we do has nothing to do with what's going on in the real us and in the inside of us and the, the deep recesses of our being you know you, you, you get into this, this Christian life thing you get saved and man, it, it's, a, it's a glorious thing and you desire to follow the Lord and so man, everywhere you look There's stuff in your life that needs to be changed, but where we typically look, and this is right, but where we typically look is in all the external stuff, and what's wild is we thought that that was the tough part, you know, and so we get into this thing, and we we stop smoking, we stop cussing, we stop drinking, we stop carousing or whatever, you know, and you get your hair cut so it looks like a Christian, and you wear Christian clothes and you learn to speak Christianese and you go to church every time that the doors are open around here. You can even get to where you're making disciples. You can even get to the place to where you're going on the missions trips. And you got all this stuff going on all around you. But it has nothing to do with what's going on in your soul. And you see, because we got all this stuff going on, we don't even know it. We don't even know. I mean, it's the real us. And, and we, you know, I, it's, it's, I was thinking of how to communicate this. I was afraid I was going to sound like I'm nuts. But you know that part that kind of converses with yourself inside? <laughs> Y'all do think I'm nuts now, don't you? <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, it's like when you're working in the yard, you know? You're carrying on this this several-hour conversation with somebody. (laughs) I mean, you don't move your lips so that the neighbors don't, you know, think you're crazier than you are. But you know what I'm talking about. You can get to the place to where, you know, people are telling you about these real cool spiritual things going on, and you think to yourself, let's see, how am I supposed to respond to where I sound spiritual? Because I can't, it's not just flowing out. And what what, what do I need to do so where everybody at the church thinks I'm following hard after Jesus? And what we're beginning to see here from Psalm 63, after all this stuff that we've been talking about, yo, this whole thing ain't about appearance. You remember when we first started talking about this thing? It's not this suppression of all this stuff I want to do. It's 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 about something on the inside that's it's being generated by a passion for God. That's what following the Lamb whithersoever he goeth is. It's it's about what's going on in the inside of us. And listen, some of you, and I wish that I had a slicker way to come at this this morning. But some of you, bless your heart, you're doing the absolute best that you can. You really are. You're doing your best to follow the Lamb whithersoever He go with. But it's a lot of, a lot of work. A lot of self-effort. It's not something that's flowing out of your soul. You've made a determination that you're going to be this kind of person, and so you're cranking it out because it ain't coming from your soul. And so this morning, this is not going to be one of them wow sermons. Praise the Lord, because we've had enough of them, where we're all stoked and wild and got all this new information, when our soul is empty. And so as we go through this this morning, rather than waiting for the big wow, why don't you just take your heart this morning and your soul and just wear it on the outside and say even as I'm preaching oh God do something on the inside of me today down in my soul and I want you to turn to Psalm 42 I I, I almost didn't want you to go to this one because we sing this psalm so often that I'm afraid that it's just one of those Oh, yeah, yeah, we've seen that before, but it's just too much in line with with what we're talking about here to, to bypass. Psalm 42, and look with me beginning in verse 1. David says, as the heart in what we would now refer to in our English language as a deer, obviously, He says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now now, now listen, I'm asking you, does your soul pant for God, or have you learned all the right places to be and all the right things to say and all the right things to do or is what you say and what you do and how you think and what motivates you is it's something like david says there is a <sighs> a panting down in my soul after the Oh god look at verse two my soul thirsteth for god for the living god and david says oh god i've got so much going on in my soul for you it's like it's like my soul is, is, is panting. My soul feels like a, a deer that's been running and running and running through the forest. And, and some of y'all have made those poor deer run like that in the last several weeks. <laughs> but it's like this deer that's been running and running from your stupid gun. <laughs> and he runs through the forest. And he finally, he comes to the brook. And he, he leans over to that thing and he says, "Oh God, that's a perfect description of what my my soul feels like. My soul thirsts for you like that, God." I want you to listen just briefly here to the comments that Spurgeon had to say about this passage. Listen to it. David was heartsick. Listen. He was heart-sick, ease he did not seek, honor he did not covet, but the enjoyment of communion with God was an urgent need of his soul, an absolute necessity, like water to a stag. Another word for deer. They went from heart to stag to deer. Listen, he goes on, his soul, his very self, his deepest life was insati- insatiable for a sense of the divine presence. And he goes on to conclude, oh, oh, to have the most intense craving after the highest good. And I ask you this morning, do you have an intense craving for God? Is he, as Spurgeon said, is he the urgent need of your soul, or is all of this born out of a need for recognition? You, that was what he saved us out of. And so it's just real easy to get into the church. And what drives you, what motivates you, is is everybody patting you on the back, and and you learn the system so that you can climb the ladder here, because you know it's wrong to climb it out there. And so we come in here and we, we, we climb here because there's nothing happening in our soul. It's, it's still all about us. And go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. David again opens his, his soul and he lets us see in his heart as he, as he pours himself out before God. Psalm 63. He says in verse 1, O oh God, Thou art... My God and you know what that's where that's where most Christians get content isn't it with knowing they're saved knowing the Lord is their Savior brother got the heaven and hell issue nailed down you're my God David goes on and says so early will I seek thee and, and now listen there are many times in scripture where the, the Bible talks about the importance of of coming to God in the early hours of the morning, but the usage of the word early here is not in terms of, of time in this instance. It's in terms of intensity. He's saying here, early, we, we would say today, earnestly, earnestly will I seek thee. And here it is again. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is and what David is saying is oh God I'm like a guy who's out in the middle of the desert where there's absolutely no water and, and, and the way that that guy would physically long for and crave water oh God that's exactly what's going on inside of me for you my soul longs for and, and craves you Have you ever craved God? Have you ever experienced what He's talking about? And and you know, what what concerns me is, is we've taken all this time to talk about following. Every week, man, following, 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 following. And we're learning more and more stuff and it's all it's all wonderful and i and i and I, I, I know that we're all well-meaning but what concerns me is that we may come through all of this and have it all down and it never affected our soul and i'm telling you if this does not do something in our souls we'll be back around this block next year and the next year and the next year because until it's coming out of here y'all, it's the flesh. And it'll frustrate you. It'll burn you out. It'll make you end up doing stuff that you never dreamed that you would do. And would you turn to Psalm 143 Psalm one forty three. Does <clears throat> anybody need this today? You know, and I just I gotta I gotta just remind y'all of something. Most of the sermons that you hear Sunday morning, Sunday night around here, you know, we get into a book, and what what God does is. He just begins to teach us about us, and, and we come in and we spill over on you. I, please, don't, don't hear all of this today that I'm, I'm beating y'all up. You, you know, I, I think what has been true every single week on this whole thing of following is I just come and I share with y'all the things that he's convicted me about. And, and that's probably why this has been so convicting, Because this is where we live. And this is something that we we struggle with. And man, it would be so wonderful if we could get to the place where we didn't have to come back to this ground. Did I already have you turn to 143? Uh, Okay, Psalm 143. And look at verse 6. He says, I I stretch forth my hands unto thee. And and listen, stretching forth your hands, that's, you know, kind of had a resurgence in in recent days, and and it's a beautiful thing to do before the Lord. It is. Paul uh, told Timothy, I would that Every man lift holy hands to the Lord. Just make sure they're holy. Just make sure that they're reflective of what's, what's in your soul. It's, it's a cool thing. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a, as a thirsty land. You know, when that drought comes and you put that water on it. It just sucks it in, man. And David says, God, I lift my hands to you as an outward demonstration of what's going on on the inside of my soul. You, you know what lifting your hands is all about? It's all about being empty, it's all about being surrendered. The cops tell you, come out with your hands up. You, you know why? I want to make sure you ain't toting anything. It's, it's surrender. And David says, I'm emptied, oh God. I hold nothing in my hands. I'm not masking any pretense. I am an empty vessel crying out and longing for you. I'm longing for you to fill this cup. My soul is like a cup. Oh God, would you, would you fill it? And I, I love the way that he expresses it back in Psalm twenty-seven. Go back there if you would. Psalm twenty-seven. And it has your turn. Let me just remind you that David was an incredible, incredible guy. I mean, listen—if you're into preaching, David could bust it out, man. David was a smooth preacher. If music is your thing, again, I mean, David was the man. I mean, he could play some incredible tunes, and, and the lyrics he wrote, incredible stuff, That Rocky world, man. If you're into the military thing, you know, David was a man of war. I mean, if you're into to power and position, David was your man. He was the greatest king that ever sat on the throne of Israel. Now, there's coming another one here in just a few years or so that's going to replace him, and he's called the son of David, and he's going to make David look like a chump, but I'm just telling you, humanly, David was an unbelievable man. In fact, the Bible says of him that he was a, a man after God's own heart. Man, wouldn't you like to have that said about you? David did, and I'm telling you, wouldn't you love to talk to David. I mean, for real. I mean, this was, a, this was a guy, man. Wouldn't you just love to talk with him and say, you know, Dave, tell me what the score is here, man. What is up with you? What, what drives you? What is that motivating force? But what is it that makes you tick, man? What is it? Wouldn't you love to have that conversation with him? He tells you right here. You don't even have to have it. He just busts it out for you. Psalm 27 he just boils it down into one verse, and he says, all right, here it is. Here is here's the one thing that's the ruling passion of my life. Look at it in verse 4. David says, count them, one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after and you can already see that he's not a whole lot like us because you know we we got all kind of things that we seek after along with the Lord of course but it's not that single mindedness not that one thing I mean you know we're we're seeking the Lord while we're seeking my goals and my dreams and my aspirations my career this house that car these clothes and you know all this stuff that we seek David says one thing One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. And here it is. Don't miss it. I mean, here it is. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David says, Lord, my heart is fixed it, it, lord my heart my soul it, it only has one desire and if there's nothing else in my life that ever gets accomplished and if there's nothing else in my life that i ever uh, achieve I, I just want to live in your presence every single moment of every single day seeing you for who you really are and worshiping you and seeking you and listen That that single-minded devotion that David had, that single desire of his heart and his soul was the mainspring of his life. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? It was that thing inside of him that caused everything else to function. Everything flowed out from, from that one desire to be in the presence of the Lord Seeing Him for who He is and worshiping Him. That was the thing. And I mean, over and over and over, what you see David doing through the Psalms and all through the Word of God is he's expressing this this homesickness in his soul for God. Turn over to Psalm 84 for a minute. Psalm 84. And look at verse 2. Let me just talk to you a second. Some of you are probably thinking right now. I, we got the point. You know why we're gonna you know why we're gonna keep going? Because what the Word of God says is we are changed by beholding this book, by beholding the Lord. I, I know we got the point, but what we need is to just keep gazing, just keep looking. Just keep letting God take this book and apply it to us so we can walk out of here and be changed so God can do something in our, in our souls. So listen, don't get, don't get tired on me, okay? Behold the Lord through His book. Psalm 84, verse 2. My soul longeth... I, he can't get over this, can he? What he keeps trying to let you know is that this was not just form? It wasn't just religion. It wasn't just habit. It wasn't self-seeking, self-serving. Something was happening on the inside of this man's soul. He says, "My soul longeth, yea, even check this word out, fainteth for the courts of the Lord." That the word fainteth. Most of the time you see this word, it's translated consume. Sometimes it's translated end or or ended. Other times it's translated finish. Sometimes spend. Sometimes destroy. Okay, now now let me show you. Listen to what David says. He says, My soul longs for you, Lord. It it feels like it's going to pass out. It feels like it's going to faint my soul is consumed it's it's to the end Lord it's it's finished it's spent my insides are destroyed my soul fainteth and look at the rest of the verse my heart that's your emotions and my flesh that's the physical part of your being crieth out for the living God you know what David's saying with with all my emotions Lord and and with my entire being, I cry out for you, for the living God. We were just there, but let me take you back to Psalm 27 and show you something else that David says in this, this psalm. Psalm 27. In verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord. When I cry with my voice, and again, with, with, with David, his voice was reflective of his soul. What he would speak was coming from his soul. It wasn't that he had learned all the right words to say, like me, like us. His voice mirrored his, his soul He said, I'm not just saying the words of a prayer. There is a passion in me. I need mercy. Look at what he says. Have mercy also upon me and and answer me. When thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek? Lord, I just took you at your word. You said you wanted me to seek you. And Lord, that's all you needed to say. Man, I, I do. And the more I seek you, the more my soul longs for you. Oh, God, mercifully answer the cry of my soul for you. You see what I'm talking about? I mean, David loved God, followed God passionately. He longed for God. He experienced intimacy with God. His testimony was his soul followed hard after God. And I want you to check out the testimony of a few others. We won't take the time that we, we did with David. We'll do most of these quickly, but let's talk next about the testimony of Mary. And turn to Luke chapter 10. Oh, behold the Lord, y'all. Let Him change you as you, as you look into His Word this morning. Luke chapter ten, and of course, you know this isn't Mary, the mother of Jesus, that we're talking about here. This is Mary, the the sister of Martha and Lazarus of Bethany. Beth, Beth, mm, easy for me to say, Bethany. Luke chapter ten, <clears throat> and let, let's pick up at verse thirty-eight. Now it came to pass as they went that he, that's Jesus, entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And most of you are aware of this, yet many of you are new Christians, and you've never really been introduced to this, this Mary, but this is, oh, this is an incredible lady. What We sing about her sometimes. We want to be like Mary Uh, You ladies who found the, the good part, the better part, that's what this passage is all about. But what's so beautiful about Mary is that she is a true worshiper of Jesus Christ. In other words, listen, she is a true follower of Jesus Christ. And what is so wonderful about this lady is that every time that you see her show up in the Word of God, she's always at the same place. Every time. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And look at verse 40. But Martha, okay, and the, the word but, of course, is a word of contrast in the idea here. But now Martha, on the other hand, okay, now Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's listening to, him, to his word. But Martha, on the other hand, was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? her therefore, that she help me. Now, uh, the audacity, first of all, of coming to the Lord and saying, do you not even care that she's sitting on her little fat behind while I'm in there working my tail off in the kitchen? You, I mean, you don't even care about that? Why don't you just tell her to get up and get in here and give me a hand? I'll come out there and hang with y'all when I'm done. But hey, somebody's got to do this stuff. Jesus answered, verse forty-one, and said unto her, "Martha, Martha, thou art careful. Okay, we would say, you're you're full of care. You're anxious. You're you're, you're hypered out and, and troubled about many things. Okay, now, now listen, Martha." Listen, don't miss this because there's lots of Marthas here. Martha had all kind of things going on, and the things, including service, were smothering her. Ooh, well, not Pastor Mark said it's not. It's okay. That we don't serve not the issue. I'm just telling you the thing that cumbered her, that troubled her, that made her hypered out was everything she felt like she needed to do for God. You're troubled about many things, Mary. And you see those many things were keeping her from The one thing. And coincidentally enough, it's the the one thing that David was just talking about there in Psalm 27, verse 4. Look at what Jesus tells her in verse 42. Now, now, he he just told her at the end of verse 41, you're careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Again, listen. This is the mainspring. That's what he's saying. You get this one down, and everything else is set in motion. Everything else flows out of this. Flows out of what? Sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. That's the one... Needful thing. And and this is this is not like I'm saying, now that's the one thing we need, y'all. No, Jesus said, one thing is needful. And watch what he goes on to to say here. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from from her. And, 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 and now listen, normally when people talk about this passage, you know, they'll come to this point and they'll start talking about the difference between, you know, Martha and, and Mary. And, you know, they go into this whole temperament thing and say, well, you see, now Martha was a choleric. And, uh, you know, as a choleric, she's an activist and she takes the bull, you know, by the horns, kind of a lady. She's always busy. She works with her hands and that's where she finds her identity. That's, that's the choleric person. While Mary, on the other hand, well, she is melancholic. You know, see, she's She's quiet, and she's introspective, and meditative, and sensitive, and, and all of that. And everybody passes this whole thing off. Like, he, here is Martha, and she's this kind of person, and so she's doing what she does, and, well, Martha on the other, or Mary on the other hand, she's this kind of person, and, and so Mary does, her, how many of you have ever heard people teach this this way? I, the only problem is, that ain't what the passage says. Jesus tells us in verse 42 what the difference is in these two ladies. And listen, the difference was not a matter of natural bent. Jesus says in verse 42, Mary hath... What's the next word? Mary hath chosen that good part. You know what the difference in these two ladies was? There came a point in Mary's life when she made a willful, purposeful choice. And Martha hadn't yet made the right choice yet. And and I, I call that to your attention because there are many ladies, and there are many men, in fact, who excuse their lack of meditative worship, the, w- the one thing. Because, well, you see, I'm just more the busy, busy type, and I, you know, I'm just that get-the-things-done kind of person. You know, I'm a whole lot like Martha as opposed to Mary. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a Martha. No, you're not. You're a Martha because you've chosen to be a Martha. And, and I'm, not, I'm not dogging you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Mary chose the good part and you ain't made that choice yet. And what you need to do, Martha, is you need to make the choice to do the one thing. He says Mary chose the good part. She made the best choice. You know why she made the best choice? Because you can serve... Without worshiping. Right? You cannot worship without serving. Because it's the main spring. You get the main spring in there. The main is worship. It's all about what's going on in your soul to God. You get that thing going, and everything else. Flows out of that choice that you make. L- l- listen, anybody that ever comes and sits at the feet of Jesus has made a choice to be there. Nobody ever just stumbled. Oh, would well, you look at that! You don't just stumble to the feet of Jesus. And you see, we we all excuse ourselves because we're Marthas. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm just a whole lot better server than I am a worshiper. You need to back up then and make the right choice. The choice that Jesus said is the one, the one needful thing. Well, You mean serving isn't important? No, it's going to come if you're a worshiper. So just do the one thing. But you see, serving will not necessarily bring you back to worship. But worship will always find a way to get up off of your face to go serve the one whose name you've just hallowed. And let's look at another one the testimony of Job. Turn back to Job 23. Job 23. Job gives his testimony here as a follower. He says in verse 10, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. And again, I want you to see that the context is all about following the Lord. His way have I kept and not declined. You see, that's that's the kind of follower that he wants us to be. That's the kind of follower that the 144,000 were. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. You know, we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That, that's what he's saying in verse 12. I, I, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. And here's why Job was such an incredible follower. You know why it was? There was something that was going on. Down inside of his soul. Look at what he says in the rest of verse 12. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job says, I'll never, I'll never turn back from following you, Lord. Because I've come to the place, Lord, that I so love your word. That your words are more satisfying to my soul than food is to my stomach. And if I had the choice, Lord, I'd take the spiritual food over the physical food every time. His appetite for God was greater than his appetite for food. And Jeremiah knew exactly what Job was talking about. We don't have time to turn there. Just listen. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah fifteen six, "Thy words were found, and I did." eat them and he ate them again because of his appetite for God and listen to what he says and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart you know how when you're really hungry and and somebody's prepared your favorite food and they put that before you 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 start eating it and you're like oh 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 baby oh this is so good you know what I'm talking about David says, oh, or Jeremiah, that's, that's the way that your word is to me. It's the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I take in your word and it just makes me go, oh, 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 this is, this is, this is too good. In Isaiah 26, you catch Isaiah's passion to know intimacy with the Lord. He says in Isaiah 26 and verse 8, you can uh, uh, you can turn there Isaiah twenty six. <clears throat> yea in the way of verse eight yea in the way of thy judgments O Lord have we waited for thee the desire of our soul listen to it the desire of our soul is to thy name and remembrance. Of Thee, the desire of most Christians today is our own name. Remember me, O God. He says, O God, the desire of my soul isn't about me. It isn't about my name. It's about Your name. It's all about You. Verse 9, with my soul have I desired Thee in the night. You know, when you roll over in the middle of the night, Nobody tells you what to think at that point. You don't force yourself to think at that point. You roll over in the middle of the night, either it's there or it ain't. You know? You have some kind of deal that's going on with your kids. You have some kind of deal that's going on in business. You have some conflict with some brother or a sister. You roll over in the middle of the night, bam! It's there, right? You don't program. The stuff that when you're rolling over in the middle, you don't program, you don't train your brain to to think about that. You, You know what you do? You think about what your soul is desiring, or what your soul is consumed with. Isaiah says, with my soul have I desired thee in the night, yea, with my spirit within me. Will I seek Thee early? And again, he's not talking about it. So I ain't going to sleep in it. Though it most certainly would be a byproduct. Again, he's talking about the, the earnest intensity that his spirit was exerting to seek the Lord. You hear Jacob in, in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 26 as he cries out to the angel of the Lord, I will not let Thee go until thou bless me and I listen I hold up Jacob as an example because of the the intensity that most of us probably need to come to even in the service this morning is God I'm not gonna let you go until I know you intimately I'm sick of learning all this information about you I, I wanna know you intimately Lord and I won't let you go I won't give up, I won't quit, I won't stop, until I do, until I've worshiped you, until that's the consuming passion of my very being. Daniel is, a, is another one. We won't take the time to, to look, at, look at Daniel. And then, of course, was, was Moses. Moses had seen God in the burning bush. He had seen God in the fire by day and the, the cloud by night. Here's the guy who received the tables of stone that had been etched by the flaming finger of God. But you know what you find with Moses? Is that it was never enough. He kept going back up. And I love what he says in Exodus 33 and verse 18. He says, I beseech thee, show me. Thy glory. Uh, Clouds are real cool, God. Fire is awesome. The burning bush thing, ah, that was too cool. The Ten Commandment gig, man, that rocked my world. But I'm begging you, God, would you do this? Would you show me your glory? None of that other stuff is enough. It would be for us, wouldn't it? I mean, we'd be on the circuit all over America giving our testimony of what happened back there. Moses wasn't content with what happened back there. The testimony of most of us, when we we go back for a testimony, we go back. How many years you got to go back for when God rocked your world to where God was a passion inside of you? Moses said, "Uh, I I just got to... One more thing. Would you show me your glory? And then, of course, there was Paul. And man, Paul believed this book. Paul even had the privilege of being the, the human vessel that was used to write over half of the New Testament, man. I mean, here's the guy that had that incredible Damascus Road experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He even talks about the fact that he was caught up into the third heaven to see things and to hear things, to experience things. We talked about this just several weeks ago. He said, the stuff I saw, it's against the law for me to even tell you. I mean, I'm I'm not permitted to even tell you about what was going on there. And yet... The cry of his heart and we've talked about this verse so many times through this whole thing of following the cry of his heart is in Philippians chapter 3 why don't we go over there I I know you're familiar I just want to show you a few of the the verses around it real quick Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 listen listen to the cry of his heart the cry of his soul y'all verse 10, that I may know Him. Yeah, Lord, that Damascus thing was incredible. Changed my life. And oh, yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff in my Christian life. And yeah, it's a trip to think about the fact that you've used me to write over half of your New Testament. But But, oh God, the passion of my life, the aching of my soul, the desire of my heart is to know you, to really know you intimately. Look at what he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. You know what? David had such a passion, or, man, I keep going back to my man David. Paul had such a passion inside of him he wasn't like us it didn't freak him out to experience the fellowship of his suffering and being made conformable unto his death it didn't freak him out because it was all a part of who he was and to know him that was a part of who he was That he suffered and he died and Paul says, I just want to know you. That's it. That's, that's the, the passion of my being. L- look back at verse 8. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, why, that I may... Win Christ. You see, that was the goal. That was the mainstream. That was the one thing David and Mary were talking about. Look down at verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this, what? This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting about the Damascus road, forgetting about the, the being caught up into the third heaven, forgetting about all the sin, forgetting about all of the other stuff, I'm, I forget about all of that. For one thing, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, the issue with Paul was always the issue of Christ. It was always his person. Paul could say with David, My soul doesn't just follow. My soul followeth hard not after all your stuff. My soul follows hard after thee. Listen, with David, it was always Christ. It was knowing Christ, winning Christ, loving Christ, worshiping Christ, having intimate fellowship with Christ, His excellency, His power. And, and, and listen, have you ever noticed in, in all of, of, of that Paul wrote, I mean, again, over half the New Testament, have you ever noticed... And in all of this writing, and as much as even we talk about it around here, have you ever noticed that Paul doesn't say too much about witnessing? Think about it. Now, I I, I know he gives the example of praying for doors of utterance in his own life, but does he ever come to a place where he starts browbeating us about... Now, listen, y'all... There's a whole world out there that needs to know about Jesus. So you've got to witness! He never puts people on a guilt trip about witnessing. Have you ever noticed that in all of Paul's writings, he never talks about what we talk about all the time around here? He never talks about world missions. Although, again, I mean, Paul, by the example of his life, went to the world. But have you ever thought about it? He never motivates us by throwing out statistics, he, he, he never talks about, you know, people go into hell unless we go. He, he he never even presses the issue, even though that is the only reason that we're still on this planet is so that we can reach the world with the gospel. But it is just you. I mean, it's one of those things you just got to step back from it after a while and just say. What is up with that? That's the only reason we're still on this planet and never does he clear off a space and say, now, here it is. You know what Paul does all the way through his writings? Over and over and over and over and over. All he does is he just keeps bringing it back to Christ. Keeping him the issue. Keeping him the focal point. Walking in intimacy With Him. And you know why He does that? Because it's the mainspring. And you get the mainspring set in there. And everything flows out of that. Our problem in Laodicea is we're satisfied with all these other things. And so we try to generate excitement about world missions and we try to generate excitement about witnessing we try to do all this stuff when the issue the thing that causes people to to do all of those things comes out of that relationship with him that's driven from your soul you see, David understood. I, I, it's taken me all these years to, to finally get to where, duh. He understood what Jesus was talking about in John 15. He, he says, It's like this, y'all. You're the branches. And as a branch, you can't bear fruit unless you're connected to the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. And what God wants is he wants you to bear fruit. But you don't bear fruit because you get yourself as a branch over there and go, let's have a a bearing fruit meeting. Okay, all you branches over here, let's, let's bear us some fruit. He says, abide in me. Let my words abide in you. And nobody's ever going to have to browbeat you into witnessing. You'll want to do that because it flows out of abiding. Nobody's ever got to, and not that we won't do it again, but nobody's ever got to bring all the statistics and try to wear you out with sad stories about the need of the world. Of Christ, when, as David said in Psalm 63 8, when your soul follows hard after Him, nobody needs to pump you up to go to the world, to tell you to go to the world. Nobody needs to pump you up to tell you to walk through the open doors that God opens in this fellowship. Nobody has to work to get you to give money so that people can go. You're looking for opportunities because it flows out of the one thing I I thought that the last time I thought I was done with this whole following thing but I, I, I couldn't quit without us coming back to we can do all the things that give the appearance that we're followers and it be flesh and fall flat because it's not something that comes from the soul. You say, well, how do we do this? How do we get to the place to where that's what our soul is, is doing? And I, I, you know what? We don't have the time to go through the examples of some other people. The reason I put some of those men down at the bottom of your sheet if we had the time this morning I wanted to go through that because sometimes we, we look at all this and we do the Dave and the Paul and the Jeremiah and the Isaiah thing and, and everybody thinks yeah that's because that was David and Paul and Jeremiah and Isaiah you know this is us and this is you know real life like they weren't made of the same stuff that we are that they didn't experience the same salvation that we and we got the Holy Spirit living inside of us you know we, we forget that and so I wanted to give you some examples, maybe sometime within the next several weeks we, we can, but let me just talk to you just real quick about the last one, because I think it has everything to do with, with where we are at the conclusion of our message this morning. This Dr. Graham Scroggy is a great expositor of the Word, and he was at a Keswick convention that's... Uh, a thing over in, in England and in that part of the world where, where people go and, and really just, you know, seek to have God work in their hearts and their lives and all this kind of thing. And at one of the meetings, he, he gave a, a testimony, and he talked about the fact that he had gone, he was getting sick and sicker and sicker, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Listen, if you're going to get out of this thing, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to give up preaching you cannot put yourself through the exertion the way that you go through all of that that whole deal the only way that you can do that is is to just knock that off and so he he was in this dilemma about did he continue on or did he stop and he's in this whole soul searching thing and he he contacted one of his his friends a man by the name of Grattan Guinness a guy in in Ireland and he writes him a letter and he says you know what what, what do i what do i do here's here's the dilemma and And Guinness writes back, and he says to him, Have you ever surrendered to Jesus Christ? And I'm just telling you, I mean, this guy just about walked on water when it came to this book. I mean, it was uh, the the very thought of even asking this guy, Have you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Scroggy writes back, and he says... I have in a general sort of way, and Guinness wrote back to him and says, do it in a deliberate, specific manner. And he did. And, and you know, fairy tale ending, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm going through that little story to let you know. I think the problem that a lot of us have is we've surrendered in a general sort of way. But never in a deliberate, specific manner. What's, what's the name of the guy just before Scroggy? Archibald Brown? Archibald Brown was a contemporary of of Spurgeon. He's downstairs in his home. God's wearing him out about his life. A a godly man, but God is just revealing things to him, and he's he's emotional, he's crying, and he he walks up the stairs, and he is so distraught that through his tears and all that he's going through, he falls, and he falls down to the bottom of the stairs, and he looks up and he says, Lord, anything? And he said at that moment, It was just so clear. I felt like what the Lord was saying to me is no. What I'm wanting you to say is, Lord, everything. And I think that many people around here, we've said, Lord, anything. But I don't know if we've deliberately, specifically said, Lord, everything. Let's bow our heads. And without me going through any song and dance to try to work up something in you, you know what, either something's going on in your soul right now, or it ain't. And and I've tried to just go to place after place after place after place this morning, as you well know, in the Word of God, so that the Word of God could do something in our souls to begin to create a a hunger, a thirst, as David talked about, in our soul. And right now, if God is at work in your soul, would you deliberately and specifically surrender? Maybe for some of you for the first time, everything. Don't make it general, not Lord anything. No. Lord, everything. And with our heads still bowed, and you folks that that God is doing something in your soul, would you just keep talking to Him? But you folks that are here this morning that have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, oh, I'm just telling you, There is a vacuum inside of the soul of every person who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And all over the world today and this evening, people will do their dead-level best to fill that hole, to fill that vacuum. That hole is God-shaped. There's only one thing that can fill it. And it's the thing that we've talked about. Even as Christians, we struggle with letting Him have the preeminence, but that's, that's the real need of this hour in your life is for you to come to the place to where you understand that before God there's nothing, listen, nothing that you can do to come to Him. You are a sinner. The Bible says that's true of all of us. And because of your sin, it has separated you from God so that we are incapable through anything that we do to come to Him. The Bible even says that our righteousnesses All the good things that we do are filthy rags. It just stinks in His sight. And the more that we do it, the more it separates us from Him. And because of our horrendous condition, God became a man in the person of Christ for the purpose of dying on the cross for our sin because that's the only thing. God had to shed His blood to remove our sin, and that's how we come to Him. And God, today, by His Spirit, is drawing you to Himself, That that tugging that you feel in your heart today, that's not not a preacher. It's the Spirit of God as He's taking the Word of God, seeking to bring you to the Father. But you come through His Son and through His Son alone. Not, Not your church, not this church, not anything, not your baptism, not anything that you can do. It's simply by coming to Him. And in this morning, if God is at work in you, and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ, as this service is concluded, our pastors are going to be on either side of the front of this room, and we invite you to come talk to one of these men. If you're a lady, we'll have one of these men get a lady to talk with you and and take you to a private counseling room where we'll, we'll spend all the time that we need to answer your questions so that you can understand what it is to come into a relationship with the God of the universe. And so we invite you today to, to come. And now, Lord, please speak. Please speak to the hearts of, of people that need to know you. And pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would convict of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And that you, Father, would draw them to yourself, to Christ. May people be saved. And again, Lord, I pray that all of us would leave here today with something that is is moving and stirring in our souls. May we follow hard after You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.